We're continuing in Acts, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 21. How many of you have seriously, like, enjoyed this series? Like, like, you know, we're over past half a year. Come on, somebody. I have never done this in my life, and I've had a blast. I'm, I'm loving it, and, and I hope you're, uh, you're still engaged with it. And It's been phenomenal to see what God's doing through Paul recently and um, the last couple of weeks. By the way, if you want to listen to any of the previous messages, for some reason you weren't at church, uh, you can go to oscconnect.com. And you can listen to any of my previous messages or you can listen to any of our other campus pastors' messages. And I would encourage you to do that. You can also download our OSC app and you'll have it right there on your device. This morning, I want to just make you aware of something that's been going on. As a leader, uh, if, I could, if I could simplify leadership in a, in a statement, I would, I would basically say this. A leader is just someone who goes first. That's what a leader is. A leader is someone who goes first, not the person that tells others to go first. A leader is someone who goes first. So as a leader, you're going to go through, if you're, if you're blazing a trail through the woods, you're going to go through the briars before everybody else does. And if you're a good leader, you're going to clip as many of them briars back as you can. Come on, anybody been on a four-wheeler ride with your partners and they grabbed a branch and they let it go and it hit you in the head? They wasn't a good leader. <laughs> But leaders go first. And the thing that I've recognized recently is that the enemy has been on a mission to distract. He's been absolutely trying to distract. He's coming from every single angle. He's been after me from all sides. There's a lot of sides. He's been from every side. He's been after me. Trying to get me distracted. Trying to get me discouraged. Trying to get me, watch this, off mission. He wants me to boudet. He wants me to pout. He wants me to go into a depression. He wants me to close off and isolate myself from everybody else. And he wants me simply to get off mission. And that's what he's been after. And I believe that he has the same intentions for all of us today. And so the title of my message today is Mind Your Mission. It's very similar to Mind Your Business. Anybody had to tell somebody to mind their business this week? <laughs> it's kind of like that. You better mind your mission. And so I want to come at this, this message from a perspective of keeping my mind on my mission. And I want to show you through Paul how he kept his mind on his mission. I want to rewind a little bit and touch a little bit on something that was preached last week in chapter 20. And then we'll move into chapter 21. But this is so, 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 so worth saying again. Chapter, Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 22, listen to what Paul says. This is Paul speaking. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city, watch this now, that jail and suffering lie ahead. Now, for some of you, that would have been enough to get you off mission. But... Watch this. Here's a good button in the Bible. But my life is worth nothing to who? To me, unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others, here's the work, he describes it, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Powerful couple of verses right here. 
We touched on this last week. When Paul says, I am bound by the Spirit, it does not mean, in the Greek, it does not mean that the Spirit came and took over Paul. It means that Paul submitted himself in obligation to the Holy Spirit. Big difference. Some of you are sitting around waiting for the Holy Spirit to come zap you and pull you into mission. Paul never waited for that. Paul submitted himself. He put himself under obligation to the Spirit to do whatever the Spirit wanted him to do. And let me tell you something. That's what the Holy Spirit wants every single one of us to do today. He's not going to come and beam you up, Scotty, or do something to force you into mission. You're going to have to surrender and submit yourself under obligation to his mission. So stop waiting. It's time, come on now, to get on mission. He put himself under obligation to the Holy Spirit. Now for Paul, what he's saying in these verses is that he's already heard from the Spirit about what's coming down the road for him. So like he didn't get into chapter 20 and all of a sudden realize what the Holy Spirit has for him. He already knew this. He's speaking from something that he's already known. Listen to what he said. All I know is that from city, at, at, at every city I go into, the Holy Spirit warns me, watch this, that jail and suffering are coming. Oh, boy. We just hit a roadblock. Because somebody lied to you and told you the day you gave your life to Jesus, you would never have to suffer anymore. But that is so not what the scriptures say. Not that we go out and create this atmosphere of suffering for ourselves to seem more holy, but that we would just walk in the mission that God gives us knowing that we will suffer. We will suffer. Paul said in Romans, if you want to share in the glory of God, you're going to have to also share in the sufferings of God. But he also describes the suffering as a light momentary affliction. Could it be that what you're going through is not as bad as it seems? This is another thing I know about the enemy is he likes to make things big in our minds. Does he not? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's going to be so terrible. Oh, my God. I can't do it. You get nauseous. You get sick. You're stressed out. Oh, my God. It's going to be something. You walk into it by faith and you go, really? Like Like this was so disappointing. When Jesus sent the 72 out, he gave them authority to cast out demons. This is the first time they'd ever done that. They went into the cities, and when a demon manifested in front of them, they cast it out, and it left. Now, imagine walking up to the first demon thinking, oh, I hope this works. And then... You know the Bible says, can you believe what the Bible says? No, that was a question. Can you believe what the Bible says? Can you believe that the Bible says if you resist the enemy, just resist him. He'll flee from you. Maybe it's time to start resisting. Resist those thoughts. Resist those feelings. Resist those temptations. Resist that past pattern that you've been having. Resist quitting. 
Can I say that one again? Resist quitting. Just show up. Show up with your knees buckling. Show up. You see, Paul didn't have the details, but he had the big picture. Here was the big picture. I'm on my way to Jerusalem. There's going to be jail, and there's going to be suffering that lie ahead of me. That did, not, uh, that did not cause him to shrink back, the Bible says. He did not pull back. He did not resist. In fact, I think it sped him up. I think Paul was just that fanatical about following and doing what Jesus wants him to do that he's like, okay, we're going to Jerusalem, we're going to get in jail, we're going to suffer, let's get it. All he knew was that his next destination was Jerusalem. This is important because he's about to have plenty of reasons to change his mind. Isn't it funny how there's always reasons to change your mind? Isn't it funny how easily excuses come to us? You know, it's way easier to find an excuse than it is to find encouragement. Isn't that true? You ever wonder why? Sometimes I don't, I don't, I wonder if we're like meant to, like, like just this fallen nature of ours just loves to be or loves to grab a hold of an excuse. I know this much, the church doesn't do a good enough job of encouraging one another. The church does a really good job of pointing fingers at each other, but we don't do a really good job of encouraging one another. And I know this to be true, too. As Christians, we don't do a good job of encouraging ourselves. How do you know that, Pastor? Because how many of you are reading your Bible daily? This is encouragement straight from heaven. Reading your Bible every morning is taking this and pouring courage into you. His mission was to tell others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That was his mission. You know that's the same mission that we have today. Every single one of us has one mission, to tell others the good news of God's wonderful grace. That's your mission. It looks different for every one of us. It has a different placement. It may end up in a different location. It may be uh, dynamic-wise, it may be different. Some of you may have a very soft, sensitive kind of mission where you go in and you whisper to people the goodness of God, and they do this. And some of you may be like warrior-type people where you just got to go in and, and you got to fight through some junk to get the good news into the place it needs to go, right? Same mission just looks a little bit different for every one of us. Paul's mission was to go and tell others the good news. So watch this. If your mission that you're on currently does not include telling others the good news, it may be an occupation, but it's not a mission. Then Paul makes this statement. My life is worth nothing to me. I love, I love this. This is what I see with Paul. This is a lesson I'm, 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 I'm grabbing a hold of right now. Is Paul wasn't worried if his life meant anything to others. His focus was what it meant to himself. God, that's foreign, isn't it? What does my life mean to me? Not what social media tells me. Not what my friends tell me. Not what my church family tells me. Not what anybody else tells me. What does my life mean to me? We've lost that. 
We've lost that. That used to, we used to call something like that American pride. Like we were proud to be an American, right? Paul's life, he didn't care what it meant to other people. He says, what does it mean to me? My life is worth nothing to me unless I finish the work. I'm telling you today, we let the world set too many standards in our homes, in our lives, in our minds, in our parenting, in our marriage. We're looking to the world to get a standard, to get a level, to get a a bar to reach. And you go, man, that's just dumb. That's just dumb. That's just dumb. You don't need the world to give you anything. Right? What does it mean to you? I didn't need somebody to tell me how to parent my kids. We asked advice along the way from other people that were doing it right. But I had a mission, Cheryl had a mission to raise our kids in the way that God wanted us to raise them. So we didn't dumb it down to the world standard. We didn't dumb it down to this, this person said or what this book said. We took the book and we took how God treated us and we turned around and treated our kids the same way. I didn't wait on nobody else. Paul set his mind on mission and refused to let anyone else change it or persuade it. Paul knew how he wanted it to end, and he put all of his cards in the middle of the table. This is so good. Finishing the work assigned to him was at the top of his purpose. He talked about his past. Paul would, he would often talk about his past, how he used to persecute and, and jail up and, 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 and witness the murder of Christians. He would talk about his past, but watch this. He never let his past talk about him. Big difference. Because some of you are living under what your past says about you, and it's time for you to start talking about your past like it's something in the past. Like it's something that you used to be, not something that you are anymore. Come on, am I in the right church? Your past does not define you. You made a mistake, but you got up, and you got right with Jesus, and you got going. You're not there anymore. That's the past. It's behind you. Leave it behind you. Come on. Shake it off. It's messing up your mission. The more you hang on to the past, the slower you are going forward. Paul was laser focused on his mission. He wasn't driven by guilt from his past. He wasn't driven by shame of his past. He would watch this. He was driven by a love for Jesus and a passion for Jesus because Jesus had delivered him. Jesus had set him free. Jesus was because of Jesus, he was born again. He was a new creation. That's why he went all in. It wasn't because he was trying to outrun his past. It was because he fell in love with the one who gave him a future. Amen? He had a passion for Jesus. I ain't worried about my past. He delivered me from that. That's a chump. I don't live there no more. I'm going forward because I love him. Because I love him and I want him and I want to do what he says. So we have to keep our mind on our mission. I promise you the enemy will continue to come against you. Trying to distract, trying to twist, trying to manipulate, trying to isolate, trying to kill your mission. (laughs) He's going to keep coming. You just soon be aware of it and learn how to fight it better. That's all I'm telling you. 
Don't freak out about it. He's going to flee from you. It's like when the 72 came back, they were all like, Jesus, the demons did what we said to do. He said, yeah, that's great. Ain't nothing to rejoice about, though. What you really need to be excited about is that your name's written in the book of life. Because if you'll get excited about your name being written in the book of life, you'll get excited about getting others' names written in the book of life. So we're not, the mission's not to go cast out demons. The mission is to go and spread the good news. But you got to grab something today. Paul was not an independent man. I'm going to have to hit the nail pretty hard on this one. Paul was not an independent man. He was not a maverick. He was not a solo artist. Paul had many others in his life. And for some of those others in in his life, their mission was to come alongside of his mission and support his mission. Three thoughts I want to share with you this morning. Number one, keep your mission clear. Oh, it's going to try to get cloudy. It's going to try to get cloudy. I saw a lady walk from the outside this morning. She walked from the outside into the office where the air conditioner was going and her, her, her glasses went, just fogged up. I said, can you see what you're doing? <laughs> she had to wipe. It got, it got cloudy. Let me tell you something. Tomorrow morning when you wake up and you get ready to go about your day, the enemy's going to try to make you cloudy. He's going to try to cloud your vision. He's going to try to cloud your mission. He's going to get you to chase something that you're not even supposed to be chasing. Save that one for another message. Keep your mission clear. Let's go to Acts chapter 21, starting in verse 1. So Paul's leaving Asia. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. He's on his way. He's set on mission. That's where he's going. He knows it's Jerusalem, jail, and suffering. He's not afraid. He's not scared. He's going forward. And he has people with him. Acts chapter 21, after saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, He sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day, we reached Rhodes, and then we went to Patara, Patara, however you say that. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found local believers, and stayed with them a week. That's seven days. These believers, watch this now. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. We got ourselves a pickle, people. Something's conflictual in the scriptures. Paul said, my life is worth nothing to me unless I finish the mission that God sends me. Right? He, what's his mission? Jerusalem. His, what's his, where's he headed? Jerusalem, jail, and suffering. He knew that before chapter 20. He gets into chapter 21. He's sailing on his way to Jerusalem. He's on mission, and he runs into some believers who have spiritual gifts, and they prophesy through the Holy Spirit that he should not go where he was going. Dun, dun, dun. We got a problem. Can a believer use a spiritual gift in conflict to what the Holy Spirit's already telling somebody? I don't know if you came ready to think this morning, but we're going to think a little bit. We're going to knock the dust off the wheels. What's going on? Listen to what it says. 
these believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Let's back up. I am bound, I am not, and now I am bound by the Spirit to what? I'm bound to go to Jerusalem. Another believer comes up with a spiritual gift of prophecy and, and, and tells me that by the Holy Spirit, I'm not supposed to go to Jerusalem. On the forum, we say it like this, something in the milk ain't white. I'm bound to go to Jerusalem. <laughs> Chapter 21, don't go to Jerusalem. <sighs> Before I jump into it, let's look at another verse. Go down to verse 10 because it happens again. Paul shakes off the first one. <laughs> he shakes off the first, then he runs into another one. This one's kind of special to watch verse 10. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived in Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers, watch this, all begged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. You want to know what's funny about Agabus? Is Agabus literally heard from the Lord. Agabus prophesied years before that there was going to be a famine in the land. And because he prophesied that and the people believed him, they were able to store up food. And they survived a famine because Agabus heard from the Lord. Do you honestly believe that when you get a mission from God, the enemy's not going to use any and everybody he can to try to get you off mission? These are good people. These are well-meaning believers. These are spirit-filled gifts of the spirit believers. Paul's supposed to go to Jerusalem. What do you do? What do you do when others try to get you off mission? Well-meaning, loving people. <laughs> Are you even ready for that? Do you believe everything you hear? trying to convince Paul not to go. You've got to remember today that God is not the author of confusion. He is not the author of confusion. He does not speak out of both sides of his mouth. He said, Jesus told us, my sheep hear my voice and they know my voice. 
That means that every believer in this room can hear the voice of Jesus and you can recognize his voice. Paul knew Jesus' voice and he recognized it. He was really, really familiar with Jesus' voice. And when Jesus told him in city after city after city on his way to Jerusalem that jail and suffering was coming, Paul had to hang on to the word that he had. Even well-meaning believers with spiritual gifts came alongside and tried to get him off mission. How can that happen? How can that happen? Do you not remember when Peter stood in front of Jesus and Jesus said he was going to suffer? And Peter said, oh, no, you not. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. If it happened to Jesus and it happened to Paul, Meshach, it's going to happen to you too. Well-meaning people are going to try to get you off mission. I've heard some strange things being a pastor. People come up with some strange ideas about God. I mean, some of the weirdest stuff. If we had time, I'd tell you. Maybe we'll do a whole series for a year on strange things. People say some dumb stuff, and you're like, what? Do you even read your Bible? You might want to write this down. The hardest part of getting a vision or a mission is not getting the vision or the mission. It's carrying it to the finish line. It's staying on that mission all the way to the finish line. It's not getting it. Some of you believe the lie of the enemy. Oh, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my mission is. The Bible's done told you what your mission is. Go preach the good news. You'll figure out exactly what it looks like. Amen? The enemy's got you convinced that you can't even find out what your mission is. That's not even the hard part. The hard part's receiving it and then walking it out. Ha! <sighs> Letting it come under attack. Other well-meaning people coming and trying to get you off mission. Oh, well, God would never tell you to do that. God would never say that. God, are you reading your Bible? Paul had to really lean, watch this, he had to really lean into his relationship with Jesus in these moments. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? When your mission comes under attack, who are you going to lean on? I'm going to sing a song for you, and it ain't this. Don't lean on me. <laughs> you better lean on Jesus. Amen? You better lean into Jesus. You better lean into your relationship with Jesus. When, when God gave Cheryl and I a word to go find Bubba, ask him what he needs and help him, my grandmother, who I trusted more than anybody else, was the first one to come get me off mission. She said, boy, your, your grandfather moved us all over the world, and we never got settled. And you're going to do the same thing. You don't need to leave. Whew. My grandma raised me. Whew. Had to go lean into Jesus because all I had was a word. And the word was go find Bubba, ask him what he needs and help him. So I lean into Jesus. I lean into the word. Lord, I know what you said. I heard your voice. I'm familiar with your voice. I know what you said. Went to my best friend. I said, bro, look, this is what God's telling me. This is my best friend in the whole world. He said, bro, God spoke to Moses. He don't speak to us like that. Lean into Jesus. Oh, I got to lean into Jesus. You can ask Cheryl as my witness. He got so bad one night. You know it's bad if I got up from the dinner table before I finished. That's, say that's bad. That's bad. 
I had to go get off in the woods and, and talk to Jesus again. I was, I was, oh, it was hard. It wasn't hard getting it. I was sleeping in the truck on the way home from Fenton. Got a word from God on I-10 in a Chevrolet of all things. <laughs> I'm not going there. Y'all quit. I just mentioned it. <laughs> you gotta, <laughs> you gotta lean into the relationship with Jesus in these moments. Listen to me clearly. You gotta lean into the relationship with Jesus. You better have a relationship with Jesus. You better know how to hear His voice. You better know where to meet Him. You better know when He shows up. You better know when He's there. You better recognize His presence. I'm telling you today. You better. Paul knows that what he heard from Jesus and what he's hearing now could be from Jesus and man. So what do you do when somebody comes up with a prophetic word and that word goes against what you said or what God's told you? You better lean into what Jesus said and pull the confirmation out of what they said and push out the bones of what they said. Because man has a bad habit of mixing in opinion with prophecy. Tell me I'm lying. We'll mess up a spiritual gift in a heartbeat. Your opinion needs to stay out of your gift. That's the hardest part of using a spiritual gift is getting your opinion out of it. Oh, God. So watch this. The beggings, these people were begging Paul. Watch this. The beggings of your thoughts, the beggings of your fears, the beggings of your insecurities, and the beggings of others should never be given more value than the words you received from the Lord. Are you hearing me this morning? There's all kinds of things begging at us today. They're begging for our attention, begging for our time, begging us to stay in bed, begging us to stay complacent, begging us to stay isolated, begging us to stay off a mission. I can't go on a mission, I'm afraid. Your fear is begging you not to go. Why? Because they know the minute you go, God's going to be there, you're going to see something, you're going to experience something, and you'll never be the same. He wants you to get, he does not want you to get into your first experience with God. Because you're hooked after that. <laughs> Paul had to discern between the prophetic and the humanity. The prophetic was, was confirmation, but the humanity was a potential distraction. You got to be able to recognize distractions. You got to keep your mission clear. All of this never got Paul to shrink back from going to Jerusalem. Why? Why? Why did he not shrink back? Because he was bound. you got to get this word bound today. He was bound. He put himself underneath obligation to the Holy Spirit. His life didn't belong to himself anymore. He gave it away. He gave it away, every bit of it. He gave it away. And he was not alone. Paul was not walking this out alone. Let me repeat this again. Paul was not walking this out alone. The enemy wants to turn Christians into lone rangers. Christians don't belong in lone ranger land. Number two, you need to keep your mission close. Keep it close. 
You better keep it close. I, I encourage people all the time, write stuff down. God talks to you, write it down, put a date next to it. I sometimes put where I'm sitting and what I'm wearing just so I can really helps me remember. I need to, January 3rd, sitting in my shorts. God said this, write it down, keep it close. You better keep it close. Verse 4, several men, this is back to chapter 20, several men were traveling with him. They were Sopatar, Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus, and Secundus. If I have another kid, I'm going to name him Secundus. I really like that name. From Thessalonica. Gaius from Derby, Timothy, Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. They went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. After the Passover ended, we boarded a ship at Philippi in Macedonia. And five days later, we joined them in Troas where we stayed a week. Paul had people in his life that his mission was close to also. God never designed you to walk your mission out by yourself. He never designed you for that. He never designed you to be isolated. He never designed you to walk this thing out all by yourself and a poor, poor, pitiful me spirit get on you. And, oh, I got to suffer this thing, and I got to take it all the way to the cross. Oh, oh, it's just me and Jesus live from the enemy. Jesus didn't even walk it out by himself. Who's convincing you you need to walk yours out by yourself? Ain't nobody but Satan. The minute isolation comes in your mind, you need to attack it. You need to go after it, and you need to press into relationship. You better have some friends like Tychicus and Trophimus and Secundus. Who's your Secundus? You got a Secundus? (laughs) Or an Aristarchus? I'm going to start. Anyway, thank you. Paul had a close group of men who were like-minded and likely bound by the Spirit along with him. They were his traveling buddies. I would put money on the fact that there were times that Paul had to be encouraged. I'll bet the farm on that. I'll bet the farm that there were times Paul wanted to quit. Paul wanted to give up. You see, you got to understand, Paul was great, but he wasn't Jesus. Paul was man just like we are, Right? I guarantee you he wanted to quit. You need other people in your life that will convince you to stay on mission and not get off mission. Some of you need to divorce those couillons in your life. I'm just saying. You need to serve them some papers. I'm done with you. You steady getting me off mission, I'm done with you. I don't need you in my life. You're negative. You complain all the time. I can't be encouraged around you. You you take the air out of me. I'm not laughing. Live people have no business hanging out with dead people. Paul needed the others in his life to stay on mission. This is what I've realized. The older and the further I get into my mission, I realize how valuable close relationships are. It is extremely dangerous to be the Lone Ranger today. Your easy pickings for the enemy. Who's in your life? Who knows what you're going through? Who knows what you're walking through? Who knows what your struggles are? 
Does anybody know what your insecurities are? Does anybody know the tricks that the enemy uses to continually get you to fall? If nobody else knows that, Meshai, you in trouble. You in trouble already. If you don't have folks that you can get open and real and honest with, Let me show you the value of others real quick. I'm going to give you a few things that I, just, that I just recognize as value of the others in my life. The first value I see of others in my life is I don't have to suffer alone. I don't have to suffer alone. Paul never suffered alone. Paul was in prison and he had people with him. He wasn't even the only one in prison. I don't have to suffer alone. The second value is that I have others to encourage and others to be encouraged by. Watch this. Sometimes you can encourage yourself when you encourage others. You ever showed up to encourage somebody and left encouraged? Wow. Wow. Sometimes you got to give away what you need. Husband and wife. Parents and kids, sometimes you got to give away what you need. Let me leave that in the crock pot. The, the third value of others is that we stay on course. We stay on course better than me. We stay on course better than me. The fourth one is, is we are stronger than me. We are stronger than me. The Bible speaks to that. The next one is, is we stay healthier than me. We stay healthier than me by myself. Most people can't go to the gym by themselves. They need a we. We stay healthier than me. You see, you got to have some friends that, that recognize when you got something on you. The other day we were working cows and we were going through some woods and this older guy, this cowboy was working the cows with us and he was walking through the woods and he had a little young guy with him that he was kind of just showing how to work cows and we were blazing through the woods trying to get these, these cows out and, and how many of you know banana spiders are creepy and they're from the devil? Come on somebody. I hate me a banana spider. I'll scream like a sissy. I mean like seriously, like a, uh, at the top of my lungs I'll scream when a banana spider gets on me. Thought I had one on me the other day. You should have seen me in the field. <laughs> Almost knocked my own head off. But, but this, this guy, he had a banana spider crawling all over him. And this, this little kid was like, you got something on you. You got something on you. Mr. Mr. Mr., you got something on you. And he never listened. <laughs> banana spider's just crawling all over his head. I ain't going to get it. <laughs> you need people to tell you when you got something on you. You need people that can recognize depression creeping up your back. You need people that can recognize when you're getting discouraged. You need people to recognize when you're about to quit. You need people that can recognize when you're getting angry and fashed. Come on, somebody. You need those people. You got to have some friends because we stay healthier than me. And here's the last one. We are better at checking my thoughts and motives than me. Oh, this one here is going to hit you in the pride. You know what's wrong with a Lone Ranger? He's the Lone Ranger. 
he makes his own mind up. He thinks his own thoughts. He makes his own decisions. Nobody challenges his decisions. Nobody challenges his thinking. Some of you are independent because you don't like people challenging your thinking. Because you're convinced you're right and everybody else is wrong. Do you have people in your life that can challenge your thinking? You got a friend that can say, bro, that's dumb. <laughs> like, seriously. Like, do you have a friend? You don't need to religiousize it. Like, like, bro, that's stupid. I got some friends. They, they've said some stuff in front. I got, I got this one friend. He, he, was, he was telling me about something. He goes, yeah, man, my old lady. I said, bro, that's dumb. That's dumb. That's dumb. You ain't marrying an old lady. You're not married to an old lady. She's not your mama. She's... I had to check him. She ain't your old lady. I thought the ladies would have said, hey, to the men. But we must not have that problem. We must not have that problem. That's all I can figure. But we are better at checking my thoughts and my motives than me. You getting something yet? So number one, first thought, you need to keep your mission clear. Second thought, you need to keep your mission close, close to yourself and close to your friends. What's stopping you from getting some close friends, spiritual friends, body of Christ type of friends, church friends with the capital C church What's stopping you? What's causing you to be isolated? You need to, you need to talk to Jesus about that. What's, what's causing you to want to stay away? Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've been, trust has been broken. Okay, I get that. That happens. I'm sorry that that happened to you, but the first time you burned your hand in the kitchen didn't stop you from going back. First time you burnt your tongue, you didn't quit eating. You just learned how to eat with a burnt tongue. Number three, keep your mission central. This one is so critical today. So, so critical today. Because we as humans are obsessed with, with doing more. We just have to do more. We got to be involved in everything. We got to do everything. We got to be there. We got to do this latest thing. We got to do that latest thing. We got to sign up for this latest thing. We got to be here. We got to do that. It's cool to be there with everybody else's kids. Little Johnny's going to get left behind and he'll be scarred the rest of his life. Really? Really, little Johnny's going to be scarred the rest of his life if he don't have an iPhone 52? He's going to be scarred for life if he don't have an iPad. Do you know there were generations before us that had no devices and they were sheer geniuses? You got to keep your mission central. So watch what Paul's response is in chapter 21, verse 13. But he said, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but to even die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. And when it was clear to them that they couldn't persuade him, they gave up. And they said, well, the Lord's will be done. That's the appropriate place for you to say that's where the Lord's will needs to be done. When somebody's on mission and you can't convince them to get off, you go, well, the Lord's will be done. <laughs> right? Not when it comes to healing, oh, well, maybe the Lord's will will be done. No, the Lord's will isn't that you're healed. Another lesson, another day. All right, can't chase that rabbit. Paul set his plans around his mission. 
He set his schedule around his mission. If anything messed with his mission, he didn't mess with it. Write that down. If anything messes with the mission that God has for you, don't mess with it. I don't care if it's Little League. I don't care if it's travel ball. I don't care if it's ballet. I don't care if it's deer season. Ouch, pastor. He's doing so good. I don't care if it's duck season, fishing season. If it messes with the mission, don't mess with it. What's stopping you from setting that standard in your house? I'm just trying to show you a better way to live. I'm trying to lead you into a place of fulfillment, a place of excitement, a place of adventure, a place of real fulfillment. Not this temporary cheap stuff that the world gives us. Some of you are selling your soul to baseball, football, basketball, hunting seasons, fishing season. You're selling your soul to it. You need a piece of meat, go kill it, bring it home and eat it. You ain't got to make a whole season out of it. You see, what's, what's the problem is, is that we've bought into the lie that our kids need X, Y, and Z to be well, and that's just lies. I'm just going to say something that's been just, it, it, I've probably said this five or six times this week to different people. And those of you that have heard it four or five times, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it again. Talking about your kids as parents. The Bible tells us that if you're faithful with the little things, God will what? Trust you with more. Right? Free parenting advice. If your kids can't clean their room and they can't take out the garbage without having you lose your mind, they're definitely not ready for a cell phone. They're definitely not ready for a device with internet access. Because if they can't be faithful with the garbage can and the toys and the clothes in their room, how in the world are they going to be faithful with the access to the world? It's not rocket science, people. Stop buying into the lie. If they can't be faithful with the little things, why in the world would you trust them with more? Because God don't treat us that way. If you're faithful with the little things, he'll give you more. I'm going to take it another step further. If your kid can't handle a cell phone, they cannot handle a relationship. They don't need to start dating. They can't even drive. Well, little Jimmy needs a girlfriend. No, he don't. Little Jimmy needs to do good in school and take the garbage out. Now, Jimmy needs to get an education. Oh, but Susie, she's going to be so messed up if she don't have a boyfriend in school. No, she won't. She might be holy. She might be pure. She might give her first love to her first love. And she might not get hurt by the little boy who had some bad intentions. 
They can't handle the garbage in the bedroom. They don't need a cell phone. If they can't handle a cell phone, they don't need a relationship like that. I'm just telling you right now, parents are wrecking their kids all over the place. God intends for your kids to be different. He intends for them to be weird. He, because he intends for them to be holy and to be sanctified and to be set apart. Not fit in. Some of you are like, preach, preacher, preach. Can I get another 30 minutes? Who give me 30? I got 30 right there, 30 over there, 30 over there. Y'all better call for, get some pizza. We about to go. But listen to me. That's funny. But I'm dead serious. I am absolutely dead serious. You are responsible for your kids. And let me put the fear of God in you. One day you will stand before the living God and you will give account for what you let your kids get exposed to. For what you allowed your kids to get involved in, you will give an account to God himself. When I realized that, it put the fear of God in me. I really want to hear God say, well done with your kids. I want to hear that more than I say, oh, I'm so glad they got that little Jimmy's dating now. And he's 12 years old. Lord, help us. Ooh, I could preach that. <clears throat> Let's go back to Acts. Chapter 21, verse 5. Some of you got something to go home and talk about. Watch this. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. When we return to the ship at the end of the week, here it is. Watch this. The entire congregation, including women and children, left the city, came down to the shore with us. There we knelt and prayed for the man of God to keep going on mission. You know what the parents did? Actually, you know what the fathers did? Because it was the fathers who brought the family. How? Wow! We just got on something. It was the daddies that took the mamas. It was the daddies that took the kids. They wasn't waiting around for mama to take the kids. Mama don't need to be the spiritual leader. Daddy needs to be the spiritual leader. It's time to rise up and be the man that God's called you to be. Stop. Oh, you better stop messing around. The men took the family to the seashore to see the man of God leave. And they prayed for him. What were they doing? Giving the example for their kids to follow. Ladies, I admire you. I admire you for stepping up and leading your family when you needed to step up and lead your family. But men, you better listen to me today. This is my mission. You better rise up. You better rise the heck up. And you better start leading your families. You better, how do you do that? You better hear from God. You better know where God wants you to go. And you better start heading in that direction. If you're going to make somebody mad, make everybody else but God mad. Amen? It's time to lead. It's time to come from the back, step out in the front. Leaders go first. They, they blaze the trail first. Anything God's ever done in my family, he did it in me first. Anything God ever did in my, in my family, he did it in me first. If there was pride he was dealing with in my family, he dealt with it in me first. If there was insecurities in my family, he dealt with me first. Why? Because I'm the leader. I'm not the dictator. I'm the leader. As I go, they go. Ladies, if you're leading, keep praying. Keep believing. 
keep trusting. God can turn a man around. All right, give me some keyboard. <laughs> Don't say that. <clears throat> the fathers took the wives and the children and they went to the seashore. Watch this. Watch this. Look at me. Look at me. They knelt. There was honor for the man of God. There was reverence for the man of God. They showed their kids when the spirit of God is on a man, when a man of God is around, you show honor and reverence. What were they doing? Teaching their children what's value and what's not. What's valuable and what's not. What's worth it and what's not. They got down on the seashore and they prayed. Men, when's the last time you got on your knees with your kids and prayed? I know it's awkward the first couple of times, but you'll get used to it and you'll get really good at it. The next generation doesn't need more things to do. They just need a man to follow. It's not popular. It's painful. There was days, honestly, if I'm being real, there was days, honestly, I was like, golly, it might be easier to be a woman. But then I changed my mind real quick. How are you leading? Have you become complacent? Is it the same old, same old? Can your kids see a turning point in your life? Can you set a mark, like a benchmark in your life that your kids would say, I don't know what happened on that day, but something happened in my daddy. And when it happened in my daddy, it changed everything in my life. Can you set an altar today? Can you set a place that your kids can turn around and look at and go, that was the moment that God touched my daddy. That was the moment that God changed my family. It was a moment of surrender. A moment of repentance. Lord, I've been distracted. Lord, I've been afraid. Lord, I've been scared of leading. Lord, I don't know if I have everything that I need to lead. So I've set back, I've shrank back, and I've set in the background. And Lord, I let my wife lead. But that stops today. And maybe your best prayer is, Lord, I want to know how to lead. Lord, help me lead. One of my most famous prayers was when we found out Cheryl was pregnant for Virginia. I had a freak out moment. I, I really, I had a panic attack because I wasn't ready. I didn't have a daddy in my life. I was raised by two strong women. And I freaked out. I went into, into my, in my quiet place and I got on my knees and I wept before the Lord. I cast all my fears on him. 
I told him what I was afraid of. I told him about my insecurities. I gave him all of my excuses. And when I was done giving my excuses and I finally got quiet, he said, you ready to listen? I said, yes, sir. All you have to do is do to them what I do to you. And you're going to be the best daddy on the planet. And I went, wow. Just do to them what you do to me. And so as we go being parents and we have three kids, God gives me a young boy who's strong. tender and I messed up a lot I would be going into a fit of rage about to tear the skin off his behind and I would hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit say have I ever done that to you have I ever treated you like that in my house we, we never hit girls one time Ethan hit one of the girls. Oh, I was going to take his life. I was going to return him. Get my money back. I lost it, y'all. I was in a rage. I had the blinders on my eyes. I mean, the blood pressure was going. And I said, get in that bathroom now. And he knew what was about to happen. And he went to the bathroom. I grabbed that paddle. And I hit everything on the way to the bathroom. Ba -da, ba -da. And I was going to rip it off. I stepped through the door and the Lord said, give him grace. And I'm going, to what? He hit my little girl. No, he hit my little girl. Give him grace. Ethan thought he was about to die. He assumed the position, which was basically like this. And I assumed my position. said, are you going to give him the same grace that I give you? Because remember, your word was, I don't know how to be a daddy. Just do what I do to you, to them. I put my hand down. I said, stand up. I said, I'm going to give you grace right now. The Lord told me to give you grace. You know what happened to Ethan? He broke. Grace broke him. His daddy's rage didn't break him. Grace broke him. You know what he learned in that moment? He learned the value of God's grace. I could have wrecked it all. But my heart was to do what was right. And I'd ask God to help me do what was right. I haven't been perfect by any means. I'll bring every one of my kids and my wife up here and they'll testify of all my mistakes and failures. But I've not shrank back not afraid to say I'm sorry I'm not afraid to ask my kids to lay their hands on me and pray for their daddy if I stay on mission they'll stay on mission they might get off for a little while but they'll come back so are you living on mission is that mission clear Is it close? And is it the central 
your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for your spirit being in this place. God, help us to keep our mind on mission. God, without boasting, I can stand here in front of these people today and say that I'm more on mission today than I've ever been. And I can say that you've not taken everything from me. You've not even stripped me down to nothing. But you showed me how to put, put my life in priority, how to put things in priority, how to put your mission first, how to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and then let all these things just be added to me, Lord. I pray that verse over us today, that we'll stay mission-minded, Lord, that our mission would stay clear. When the enemy comes to distract and life throws curveballs at us, we won't flinch, we won't shrink back, we'll stay clear. We'll keep the mission close, Lord, close to our heart and close to our friends. I pray for every isolated person in the room today. Come out, says the Lord. Come out. Come out of hiding. Come out of hurt. Come out of disappointment. Come out of mistrust. Just come out, says the Lord. I'll walk you into this thing. I'll lead you to the right people. And I'll give you friends that you'll forever be grateful for. You don't have to be alone. And then, God, I pray that we keep our mission central. I pray for this church that we, that we today, we surrender our schedules, our plans, our purposes, our expectations to you. Lord, I pray over this church that before we ever write anything on the calendar, we'll ask you if this needs to be there or not. And that, God, you would give us the courage and the boldness to say no if it, if it is no. And yes, if it is yes. today, Lord. I pray that we're not afraid to suffer or even die if that's what's required. Jesus, you came not to be served, but to serve and to give your life as a ransom for many. I pray we do the same thing, Lord. Help us today. In Jesus' name. Amen.